Good morning. My name is Ken Jones. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church, and it's uh, fantastic to be able to have the privilege to kick off this summer series on Summer in the Psalms. You know, the Psalms are often called God's psychology book because it really goes through every emotion and every uh, spiritual state known to uh, Christian people uh, all over the ages. And so we have a, a great opportunity, as you learned uh, going through the uh, Good Confession, that our psalm uh, this morning is Psalm 29. So I'll ask you to please uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 29 and please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we might see a wonderful truth out of your Word this morning. Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. And Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. In his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give his people strength and may the Lord bless his people with peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do, with great desperation in this very uh, chaotic world, ask you to give us your supernatural strength, your supernatural peace that we know only comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, and in his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. This is a fantastic psalm to come back to worship here at Oak Mountain, because it is a psalm of declaring that we are to worship the Almighty God. You'll notice in verse 2 it says, Worship the Lord with the command, In the splendor of holiness. In fact, Psalm 29 really could be seen as an outline of a worship service. It begins, every worship service, as you know, begins with a call to worship, which you just heard our senior pastor do with this exact psalm, and verses 1 and 2 is, in fact, a call to worship. And then the end of this psalm is the benediction. Uh, Tom, in his uh, wonderful prayer, uh, uh, prayed uh, that we would be uh, blessed with uh, strength and peace uh, based on this benediction. But in the middle part, from verse 3 to verse 9, this is all on the Word of God. And it's really about the means of grace, about how the Word of God works in our life. And it's a very interesting and elegant way of describing how we sit under the Word of God when it's read, when it's preached, when it's taught, when we're meditating upon it, and what it does to our heart, mind, and souls as we are listening to it. So it is a uh, psalm jam-packed with some gems. So let's look at the first part. The first part is, I'm going to give you the KISS principle, but in a sanctified Christian way. Uh, keep it simple, saints. Keep it simple, saints. And this is what this psalm tells us. 
Four times in the psalm it says to glorify God. That is keeping it simple. That's the essential of the faith to always be about the business of glorifying God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says that whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And in our lives, we have this Westminster Confession of Faith, and one of its famous questions and answers is the very first question and answer about what life is all about. In fact, it goes like this. It's coming. It's not coming. Ah, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. It doesn't get any more clear and simple than that. That is what this psalm is calling us to do. Now, three times it says to ascribe glory to God. Why three times? Well, scholars have come up with a lot of answers. My two favorite are the first one is we're sluggish and we're selfish. And God is stirring in our hearts to change our orientation from our selfishness to looking at his glory. The other one that I like is uh, what is often referred to in the book of Isaiah, the great uh, passage where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory three times is probably a veiled reference to the Holy Trinity. Like we love to sing as the Christian people, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And so it is a great call to bring us into a position of glorifying God. Now, in the Reformation, they had slogans that they lived by, one of which was, uh, to God alone be the glory. And it's interesting in this uh, chapter, it's only 11 verses, but in 11 verses, God's name, his personal name, Yahweh, is mentioned 18 times, which is, again, its way of saying that all glory belongs to God alone. Isaiah 42, 8 says it this way. God says, I am Yahweh, I will be known by this name, and I will give my glory to no other. And why should he? he and here in America, if you have stolen valor, and you pretend like you have a purple heart to defraud somebody, that's a crime. Would it not be a crime for someone to believe and think and say that they're the creator when they're not? When they're the redeemer and they're not? When they're the king of kings and they're not, God says he will not let anyone be duped. He and he alone is the good creator, the wonderful savior, and he alone is the sovereign over our life. Now, as we uh, look at this, the way I like to describe to people uh, how this glory of God works is by four circles. The first circle is to realize that you are not the center of that circle. You are not the center of the universe. Now, we all have lived that way, haven't we, that we think we are the center, that we are more important even than God, but we are not the ones that are at the center of the universe. But when we act that way, we are usurping the real person who is at the center of the universe, and that's where the second circle comes in. The second circle is that God is the center of the universe. He deserves all glory to be the creator. All glory because he's the redeemer. All glory because he is the king of kings. But what's interesting about God, and this is where the gospel comes in, God is his infinite grace, amazingly, 
turns around and makes us the center of the circle again. The Bible says that we're the apple of his eye. God will send his one and only son to die on the cross to rescue us and to redeem us by his precious shed blood. He is going to resurrect him on the third day so that we might have everlasting life. And he is going to send him into heaven so that he and he alone is the one who reigns over our life. God in many ways made us the centerpiece due to his great love. And then comes the fourth circle. The Holy Spirit changes our heart. We are so filled with his glory and gratitude for what he's done to, for us. Our hearts change and now we want to live for God. So we want to be at the center of God's will at all times. And the way that you're at the center of God's will at all times is what we just read. What is the chief purpose of any person, man, woman, boy or girl, What's the chief purpose? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I remember when I was in about third grade, my grandmother had sent us a card. And my mom liked the card so much that she framed it. And she put it up on the, the, the kitchen wall. And every time I'd get a glass of water, every time I'd bring the dishes up, any time I'd wash my hands, do anything, I would see right at the center of our kitchen this phrase. And it was, you have only one life to live. It will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And that phrase, only what is done for Christ will last, captured my third grade heart. It captured my heart because that was the type of life that sounded like the only type of life that would be meaningful and impactful and would be exactly what God is calling us to do. So to keep it simple... We always, whatever we do, we glorify God. But then we go to the next section, a different way of saying the KISS principle. Keep it scriptural, saints. You want to make sure that we are doing everything according to the scriptures. From verse 3 uh, to verse 10, the voice of God is mentioned seven times. Now, why is the number seven significant? Well, in the Bible, the number seven means to be complete. And it's saying that the Word of God is the complete authority for our life. It is completely sufficient for our faith and practice. And so, therefore, we can trust it. Now, the way that it describes how the Word of God works in our heart is what we just read about the hurricane. It's describing a hurricane. You notice in verse 3 it says... The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The waters is the Mediterranean Sea. And the glory of God thunders. You hear that thundering out there in the sea. Then as you go to verse 7, you see the zigzag flash of lightning. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. And then you see that a magnificent wind that comes from a hurricane. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. You see that wind. So God is using this image to describe how the Word of God, how you're under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, how it works in our life. The first thing to realize is that the sea or the waters in Hebrew thought was chaotic. They thought it was the world of evil, the word of chaos. And God is saying, in any fears that we might have, that He is over all of that chaos. He is over 
all of those fears. And you say, but Lord, I have, there's so many problems going on in the world. He covers that too in verse 3. He's over many waters. You can pile up all the problems you want and he's over all of them. And then he sums it up with one very clear scripture about the authority of God in verse 10. He uses the word over a third time. He says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. To sit enthroned over the flood, the word flood is only used, this particular Hebrew word, two times in the Bible. Here, of course, and in Noah's flood. And so it's obviously bringing us back to the account of Noah's flood. And if you remember, the world was incredibly chaotic in sin and evil, but God was over that. Also, God brought judgment. But glories of glories, God did something even more than those. He would bring salvation through Noah and his family and to bring them safely home. God is saying in this great passage that when you hear the word of the Lord, it is to reverberate in your soul that God is on the throne and he is ruling. But also notice what it says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, the glory of the Lord thunders, the Lord over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty, the voice of the Lord breaks cedars, the cedars of Lebanon. What is happening there? Well, if the sea is representing things that we can't control, the hurricane is now on the land. It's on things that we think, at least we think, that we can control. And so in Augustine said that uh, the Lebanons, were, their greatest pride was these great cedars. And so this is referring to God coming and snapping our pride in two, recognizing that we are not the center of the circle, but he is the center of the circle, and he is calling us to worship him fully and completely. It is an amazing passage of breaking down those sinful things that we have, those selfish things that we do that keep us from the worship of the Almighty God. But it goes on to say that Lebanon skips like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. This is referring to the Mount Hermon and that, that mountain range that God is over the mountains of our life. You know, we all have highs in life. And God's word is there, and it has something to tell us, even the highs. But notice what happens. It goes now to Kadesh. It goes to the wilderness of Kadesh in verse 8, and that's the valley. Kadesh is reminding us of the time that the Israelites were in the wilderness. It's in the valley of life. And God's word also comes to us in the valleys of our life as well. And no matter what... It does one incredibly amazing thing. And it's what I've come to enjoy the most about studying Psalm 29 this week. Verse 9. The last thing it does is it strips the forests bare. What is it talking about there? It's talking about anything that would prevent us from seeing God in our life. God's word will strip it down. If it's insecurities... If it's fear, if it's doubt, if it's questioning, whatever it is, God will, in his word, will eventually strip it down. So the only thing that we see is the glory of the Almighty God. And what does it say? In his temple, right here in his 
church, in his house of God, all will cry, glory. As I was studying this passage, one uh, pastor I thought captured what was happening in this passage uh, as best as I've read in any of the commentaries. He's a pastor in uh, Pennsylvania. He's a PCA pastor, and he uh, writes a blog called The Busy Preacher. But this is the way he describes the end of this passage. We are left with no possible response except one. All we can do is say glory and mean it. This is not an empty cheer. Our doxology, our saying glory after hearing the voice of the Lord is simply a fact, the only fact left standing. The one and only fact that we always have is to know that everything is for the glory of the Almighty God. Another way to say the uh, KISS principle is in verse 11, which is, Keep it strong, saints. May the Lord give you strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. You know, in Boston, when the bombing occurred, they had a saying that came out of that from the community called Boston Strong, and that is a great saying, and it was great to see the community come together. But we Christians also have that same community with each other, but we have something even greater. We have supernatural strength from God that keeps us strong. For instance, in this passage, notice when we glorify God in verse 1 what it says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. But now at the end, God is taking his glory and strength and he's given it to you by grace. He says, may the Lord give strength to his people. And that's how the beautiful cycle of God's glory and our good happens within the scripture. The first thing is, is that all glory does belong to God and we are called to worship him. Worship in Hebrew means to bow down before the king of the universe. But it doesn't stop there. Because God, he's the one who is strong. He's the one who has strength. He's the one we just glorified. But in his great grace, he supernaturally will give us strength from him. He will give us his peace from him. Now, he doesn't just bless us so that we might be blessed. The Bible is very clear that every time he blesses us, he blesses us so that we might go and be a blessing to others. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when we go and we are a blessing and do good deeds to others, what happens? Glory is brought to God the Father. And that cycle just continues and continues on in the Christian life. It's a beautiful cycle. And in this particular passage, we get this great benediction, may the Lord give strength to his people, may the Lord bless his people with peace. Can you think of anything more important to pray for the people that you know that are going through the most difficult of times or people you know who are just got to handle life than to pray that God would give them supernatural strength and supernatural peace to go about their day as God calls them to do? It is such a beautiful, beautiful prayer. You know, I love the fact that uh, Jesus Christ, in my, my view, Life was kind of like this psalm. You know, John the Baptist began uh, Jesus' life, if you remember, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
like a call to worship of the Word of God who is incarnate and come to the earth. And the entire life of Jesus Christ was nothing but Him teaching us about the kingdom of God, about the Word made flesh, so much so that the Word will die on the cross for our sins and be resurrected on the third day. It was the most glorious message we have ever heard and ever will hear. But then Jesus is resurrected. For 40 days he will live on this earth again teaching. But on the 40th day he will, be, he will ascend into heaven and right now reigns supreme over all. But do you remember what is the last official act that Jesus did right before he ascended and as he ascended. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of scriptures. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 24. And the last three verses of that chapter, verses 50, 51, and 52. Then he led him out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they returned, worshiping him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. The last thing that Jesus Christ does is he blesses his people. That is the almighty grace of our Savior. Well, you can't keep it, you can't make it any more simple, saints, than the solas of the Reformation, the great slogans. And the first one is, God's glory and God's glory alone. It's all to his glory. Also, you can't be more scriptural, I think, than the Reformation slogans. Because when, it said, when we say, keep it scriptural, saints, what does the Reformation say? Scripture alone. That alone the scripture is our authority and alone the scripture is sufficient for us. And then when it comes to strength, keep it strong, saints. Our salvation is totally from him because of grace alone. Not because of what we've done, but solely of what he has done for us. And we receive that through faith alone. All to the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us alone. May the Lord once again rekindle our hearts and minds here at Oak Mountain to worship the Lord in his great splendor. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this psalm, and we thank you that it reminds us of the basics of worship, and it reminds us of the truth, that you are king over all. We give you all the glory, for there is no one that we love more than you. But God, we know that love comes because you first loved us, and as the apples of your eye, you gave us it all. And so we give you all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.